Good morning, everyone. Let's, uh, <clears throat> let's go ahead and get started. Father, thanks for our time together this morning. We thank you for your love and your grace and for our, our fellowship. And, Lord, we thank you that you give us teachers. We thank you that you give us the Word of God. We thank you that you give us the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, I just pray your blessing upon our Sunday school class and upon all the stuff that is going on today in this building. Father, I pray that as we continue to study the book of Revelation, you give us great wisdom and insight to it, and that we would understand it, and the Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning, that we might embrace and be excited about what is ours just around the corner. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we find ourselves in the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. We are pretty much done with the judgments and with God's wrath being poured out upon the nations for uh, sin and ungodliness and unholiness and uh, unrighteousness. And we are seeing that God is now preparing or will prepare for us a remarkable and wonderful place, a place that we call heaven. So chapter 21 and 22, these are great words. Uh, what a wonderful thing to know that this place is ours and that that this will this will be ours one day and God lays it out for us so that we can understand that so chapter 21 it says this then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea I saw the holy city new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God and made ready as a bride adorned for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits upon the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right. For these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And so in the first couple of verses, new finally, we are finally getting to the fact where a place where everything is new, and he is starting to do the new. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. It is brand new, and it is God's design that it is brand new. All right? Let's look at some verses about that. I want to point out a couple of things that you may be surprised by. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And in verse 10 it says this, But the day of the Lord will become like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed, with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all of these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct 
and godliness, looking for and hastening for the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So understand that this was always God's plan. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that we are to be good stewards of what it is that God has given us, but his plan is to destroy this earth, and he will do that. And it says in here, I want you to notice that, that look in verse 12, looking for and hastening for the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning. The heavens will be destroyed also and the, uh, and the elements will melt with intense heat because it says, according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let's look at a couple other verses. Go to the Old Testament, the book of Job. The book of Job. Chapter 15. Job chapter 15. Job 15, 15. Notice this verse. Behold, he puts no trust in his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight. He talks about, in verse 14, what is man that he should be pure, or he who is born from man that he should be righteous. He puts no trust in his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight. And I wanted you just to understand that that concept has always been an Old Testament concept that that this idea of complete purity is not here yet. And one of the things that we've done is that we say, you know, we've talked about the hev- in, in heaven there will be that total and complete purity, and that will be true one day. Right now, everything is still tainted, right? Everything is tainted by sin right now. Everything, all right? And that's why the new has to be made. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 24. Isaiah chapter 24. And we read in verse 5. The earth is also polluted by its inhabitants, for they transgressed laws, violated statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. We get that. We understand that. We, we realize that that's an issue on this earth, is that, is that the earth is full of that, and so we have some problems with that. Let's go to Psalm 102, Psalm 102, and verse 25. Psalm 102, and verse 25. Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you will endure. All of them wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be changed. So everything is going to be made new, the heavens and the earth. And I think that it's, it's interesting when we talk about why is that? Why is it that, that God needs to create a new heaven? Well, he's going to create a new heaven because he's going to stay with his theme of everything is new because uh, we're starting brand new without any sin and unrighteousness. And I say this, I believe this, I believe that that the concept of heaven itself right now, wherever it is that God dwells, and that's a, that's a tricky, you know, where is God dwelling? Well, we call it heaven. We're not exactly sure where God dwells. We know he's everywhere, but there's a, there's a place somewhere right now. Even that place has been tainted because there was a day when Satan appeared before God and they had a conversation. And, and I think that even that place where God is right now is tainted by sin and unrighteousness. 
And so God is going to absolutely destroy everything that has ever had any kind of tainting in any way, shape, or form. And sin is that ugly and that powerful and that invasive. Okay? And he's got to get rid of it. So I think that's why he's doing this. So go back to Revelation chapter 21. So the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There's no sea anymore. That's a significant thing because um, we understand that we're, we are so dependent upon water. Okay? Well, not in heaven. The, 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 the rivers and the oceans and the seas, they're non-issues in heaven. All right? it's, it's all going to be different, as we'll see in a little while here. Verse 2 then says this. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. The capital city of the new heaven and the new earth, and this will be Jerusalem. This will be the new Jerusalem. This will be where the new heaven and the new earth is. Is it, is it possible that, that this is what Jesus was referring to in John chapter 14? I go to prepare a place for you, and when that place is ready, I'll call you to myself. Maybe. We don't really know for sure what Jesus was talking about there completely. We really don't know exactly what's happening with the new heaven and the new earth. We don't really know what's going on with the new Jerusalem. There will be a Jerusalem in the millennium. We saw that, but it will not be this one. This is the brand new one. This is one that's not tainted in any way, shape, or form. And so the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. I referred to this a while back that, that it's now for time for the consummation. That is, everything is complete, everything is finished, and everything is being wrapped up uh, uh, finally. And is it, is it possible that the church is in this new Jerusalem coming down and being presented to Jesus Christ? Some say that that could be. Some say that that is not the case. We really don't know. But it's an interesting thought, isn't it, that somehow there's this place that has been made ready for us and there we are, and then we're presented to Jesus Christ and, 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 as a bride adorned for her husband. So, you know, it, it, we really don't know, but we'll find out one day. We'll see it, and it'll be pretty cool, whatever goes on. The next couple of verses then, this is an amazing verse, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and so now we have God speaking, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them. That's a new change, isn't it? That's never happened before. What's happened before was the Shekinah glory of God was among men. And a shadow of God, if you will, was among men. And the Holy Spirit is among men living inside of us. But this idea that the tabernacle of God is among men, that he's going to dwell with them, they'll be his people, and God himself will be among them, that's brand new. That's pretty cool. So we know that heaven will be completely different because of this right here. All right, God will be among them, and we will be as he is. We will be holy. We will be transformed. And so there won't need to be the veil or the curtain or the backside of God or the shadow or the representation of God. What needs to happen in the new heaven and the new earth is simply God. So this will be glorious and wonderful. And then a verse that I referred to last week, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death, there will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. A part of life from the fall has been crying and death 
and mourning and pain. That's been a fact. From the moment Adam and Eve sinned, these things have marked life. In fact, one of the things that irks us so much sometimes about this life is that as believers, as people who belong to Jesus Christ, we still have tears, we still face death, we still struggle with mourning, crying is a part of our life, and pain is constant. And we think, God, why haven't you changed this? Why don't you do something different? And the answer is, he's going to. It's there. Okay? That's the neat thing. Has he done it now? Nope. Will he do it then? Clearly he will. And so I think that's a remarkable thing. And I shared with you last week, I want to say it again, I think that verse 4 is incredibly significant that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And then it says, and there will no longer be. So I believe that what's going to happen here is I believe that there will be a sense of realization in heaven at this point of what we did or did not do on this earth. I believe, and this is a personal belief, okay, I'm not going to die on this, and you can say that's hogwash if you want, and I'm okay with that. I believe that we will have a realization of who is in heaven and who is not in heaven, and then God's going to wipe away our tears. And I like the, the phrase that it's here, and he will wipe away your tears. I believe that the Lamb of God will, for every one of us, wipe away our tears in a gentle, compassionate way, and then it's done. And then our remembrance of what was is gone. Our understanding of what is will be um, heightened. And from that, after he gently wipes away our, our tears as our loving Father and our Lamb, the Lamb of God, and he makes it clear, I'm doing this for you, and by the way, this new world that you're a part of, there's not any death anymore, and there's no mourning anymore, and there's no crying anymore, and there's no pain anymore, because all of those things have passed away. All things are new. That's pretty cool, huh? So we do have the crying and the pain in the morning and all of that now, but there will be a day when we won't, and the Lord's going to take care of that for us. And so that's heaven, and that's pretty exciting. Verse 5 says, And he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these things are faithful and true. I just want to point out to you that it says this, and it has said this in a few other places in the book of Revelation, right, for these words are faithful and true. This is not an allegory. This is not a cute little story that Jesus is telling John somehow. This isn't a metaphor for anything. The Bible says that these words are faithful and true. The book of Revelation is as trustworthy as any other book in the Bible. Okay? And there are way lots of Christians that don't buy into that. But I think that this verse helps us with that. These words are faithful and true. And it is God who is saying in verse 5, I'm about to make all things new. And then in verse 6, then he said to me, it is done. Now when was the last time a phrase like that was uttered? On the cross. He said it is finished. And what was finished at that point was our sins were paid for. It is done. What is done now? Everything's holy. It's exactly right. Sin's been dealt with, and unrighteousness has been dealt with, and all of those things, and everything is holy now. It is done. 
All of the judgments are done. All of the issues are done. And life is about to be totally different. And he reminds us, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end and everything in between. And I give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. So he met with the woman at the well, and what did he say to her? I offer you life that what? I offer you water that what? Living water. I, I give you living water. I give you the water that, that once you taste of it, you'll never thirst again. And then he says, in heaven there will be something that will be unique along those lines. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. It is grace. It is free. It is yours. And I will give it to you because I am that kind of a God. Okay? Verse 5, or excuse me, verse 7, I'm sorry. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. One of the facts of life that we need to come to grips with is, in our lives there is a lot of overcoming to be done, isn't there? Boy, you're just rolling along, and you're doing life, and all of a sudden something happens, and you're slapped upside the head, right? Now you've got a choice to make. What am I going to do about that? Okay, and, and sometimes it takes us a while to work our way through that, right? Maybe it's an hour, maybe it's two hours, maybe it's a half a day, maybe it's a day, maybe it's a few days. And, and, and we've got to decide, what are we going to do with that? And the Bible says that, well, we need to overcome those difficulties in life. We need to overcome those things in life. We need to overcome the disappointments and the frustrations and the irritants and you fill in the blanks. Okay? And the Bible says that one of the things that marks believers is that we are overcomers. And the reason why we are overcomers is why? I'm sorry, what? That's exactly right, because of the Lord Jesus. We're not overcomers because we have a, this super amazing ability in and of ourselves, right? We're overcomers because of the grace of God that is in us, that is absolutely showering us. And we, we actually have, we'll talk about that a little bit during Hebrews this morning, that the grace of God that just absolutely overwhelms us. We're overcomers because of that. Okay, so because you know that this is what your life is about to be, because you know that it's Jesus Christ who is doing this, because you know that Jesus Christ is in your life, then we understand that we can be overcomers because of Jesus Christ who lives inside of us. That's good news, right? As we're working our way through this thing called life, we know that we can be overcomers because of Jesus Christ. Because you know this week you're going to get slapped upside the head in a surprise of some sort probably, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Holy Spirit helps us overcome that, and our heart is exactly what Jesus Christ does. You bet. Look at uh, 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that he has overcome the world, our faith. He who is... Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Okay, now look at 1 Peter, 1 Peter, chapter 1. Oh, wait a sec, sorry. I want to finish this and then I'll do that. I apologize. So in this verse in 1 John, it is an interesting verse that it, that it just it gives you that, um, that basic understanding that you need. And that basic understanding that you need is that life needs to be overcome. 
Okay? That's the basic understanding. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that he has overcome the world. It's our faith that allows us to do that. And who is the one that overcomes the world? He who believes Jesus is the Son of God. We, we have been given this basic, basic understanding that part of being a believer is that you overcome the world. Okay? Or, to put it another way, you, you rise above the circumstances of life. Or, to put it another way, you are focused in upon the things of heaven and not the things of the earth. Or, to put it another way, you are seeking the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of this world. The Bible says that it's believers who are overcoming the world. We're the ones that are looking at the world and saying, that can't be that that keeps me captive. That can't be that that defeats me. That can't be the thing that... That, that overpowers me because I have this thing called faith and the Bible says my faith because of his power and his work in me overcomes the world so we as believers need to understand that that's part of who we are as believers is we're overcomers and the Bible says that those who are in heaven believers will be called overcomers look what you did you dealt with life well welcome home. That's the essence of that. Okay? Yes? That's right. First John 4, 4 is greater than he that is in us than he that is in the world. That's exactly right, because that's the battle we face. Now go to 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 4. We'll read verses 3 and 4. And it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That's yours. That's, that's yours. This is, this is yours, okay? This great inheritance, it's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it will not fade away. We need to keep our eyes focused upon that. That's part of being overcomers, is that we focus on that, and we understand that that's what I'm living for, and that's what I'm striving for, and that's what I'm anxious for, and that'll, that'll help me be an overcomer when I understand this truth, this concept, this idea. All right? Now let's go back to Revelation. Verse number 8. But for the cowardly... And then believing in the abominable and the murderers and the immoral persons and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so in the midst of this, God reminds us once again, this is not a universal deal. Okay? This is not a universal deal. We talked about this at length a couple different times. This is really um, the, the last time we really are going to see something like this we need to be reminded one more time that not everybody goes to heaven. That Jesus Christ is the one who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, through me. He's, he's the only way to heaven. And we need to understand that and believe that and realize that that is the truth. So there will be many that will not be a part of this. And, and this is a description, verse 8, of, of immoral living, of, of a life of sin. And he says, those people will not be a part of this. And you need to understand that this is for you. Overcomers are different. And, um, and, and they, they have what it is that God gives us. And then we have in verse 9. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here. I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Come here. 
I want to show you something great. Come here, I want to show you a, a sight that you're just absolutely not going to believe. Can you imagine John in heaven? I mean, he has seen so much. And what was the time period that he saw all this, I wonder? I mean, how long did this take place that John saw all of this and he was instructed to write all this down? I mean, we don't know those things, right? But, but as he's gone through all of the things that, that, that we have read about, and now, and now the angel says, come here, I want to show you something really cool. Come here, come here, come here, let me show you this. And what we have in verse 10 is this. And he carried me away into the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, part of what needs to happen as we, as we read in, in Revelation, as you read in other portions of Scripture, is we need to do our best to transport ourselves into the mind of those folks that, that, that put Jerusalem in a very special place. We don't have that. We don't do that. We don't do that with Jerusalem, generally speaking. We don't do that with any physical place, really, in our nation. We don't have the, the, the meccas of our life, okay? We just don't have those things. Jerusalem, to these people, was the city. It was the place. It was, it was the high and holy place where God dwelt. And if you could go to Jerusalem, and that was really special. That was overwhelming, okay? And we need to try to understand that a little bit, that... Jerusalem is an incredibly remarkable, special, phenomenal thing. Look at what it says in verse 11 then. This is coming down out of heaven from God and, it ha and having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, a stone of crystal clear jasper. And it had a great and high wall with 12 gates and the gates and at the gates 12 angels and the names were written on them which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel and there were three gates on the east and three on the north and three on the south and three gates on the west throughout scripture you see that God enjoys symmetry he enjoys balance okay so here it is there's four sides there's three on everyone and the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so we see now that the Lord is bringing together Israel and the church, right? And we're all coming together. And Israel is incredibly special, always has been, always will be. The church, incredibly special. It still is and it will be. And so they're all coming together now, and we have the names of the tribes. They're, on the, they're, over, um, they're written on them, the, the names over the gates. And then we have the foundation stones are the 12 apostles. And, then, and, and, and the one who spoke with me, oh, and by the way, and of the Lamb, I, I've noted that hopefully a few times, and you've noted it, that we read that description a lot in Revelation, the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and the gates of its wall. And the city is laid out in a square. And its length is as great as its width. And its width is as great as its height, the Bible says. And, the, and, and he measured the city with the rod. And, and here's the New American Standard. And it's really interesting how the Bible um, has done this. The, the New American Standard goes ahead and, and lays it out. It's 1,500 miles. Some of your Bibles won't just say that. It'll still give you a... Um, a description or, or the old measuring thing and you got to go read the notes and try to figure it out 
the New American Standard just says it's 1,500 miles. Okay, so the New Jerusalem is 1,500 miles long and wide and high. Okay? Now, I know that you guys are all incredibly smart and wonderful people, and being citizens of the United States of America, geography is our very best topic. So if you, if you would leave Cortez right now and go 1,500 miles, you basically would end up in Pittsburgh. And that doesn't help you one iota, does it? I mean, it's, it's, it's a lost concept to us. We're not good at that. But that's 1,500 miles. If you, were, if you were to leave Cortez right now and go to Los Angeles, it's only 700 Okay, if you go that direction. It's only 700 miles from here to L.A., all right? So you need to double that plus a little bit. So basically, that's, it's Pittsburgh. Or if you think of it different, from the East Coast, it comes down into, you know, the Midwest somewhere, <laughs> it, right? It's 1,500 miles, and it's 1,500 miles wide, and it's 1,500 miles high. How many, how many floors are there in 1,500 miles high? I have no concept. Here's the point. The New Jerusalem is big. It is really big. It is the center point of the new heavens and the new earth. And, 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 and these doors, these gates, these foundation stones, the New Jerusalem will be overwhelmingly, spectacularly beautiful. It'll be something. I, you know, I, I think that John was just overwhelmed. And he measured the wall, and it was 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. So the wall itself, 72 yards, okay? This is a massive, massive, massive structure, okay? And I, and I think that it's, it's pretty significant that he gives you the, God gives us the exact widths of it and the dimensions of it so that we understand that this is real. This is a real place. This is not a pretend place. This is a real place. This is, this is an overwhelming deal here, okay? And the material of the wall was jasper. And the city was pure gold, like clear glass. We've seen that before, the, the, the gold like pure glass. And the foundations of the stone were all adorned with every kind of precious stone, the first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third caledony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sarnyx, the sixth sardus, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth crystal phrase, the eleventh um, genesis, jada, gen, j, I don't know what it is. What is it? What? Jacobith. I don't know. Okay. And the twelfth amethyst. Here's the problem with this. I don't know what any of those are. So I don't know how valuable this place is. <laughs> That's my point. Okay? But here's what I know is down through the ages, all of these stones have been held up as incredibly precious. Okay? What, what, we, just, what we have here is you have a list of all of the things, um, you know, maybe outside of a few things that, that are not on here, but you have basically a list of that which people have, have wanted to grab and hold, uh, hold on to and have all of their lives, all of the history of mankind. You have the vast majority. There's a few on here that you'd say, well, I, I, wish, I wish I had that one. Like you might be thinking, well, pearls weren't mentioned. Oh, here it is. And the 12 gates were pearls. Okay? And each of the gates was a single pearl. 
And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. So the bottom line here is that what you need to understand is this is a city that you cannot comprehend how incredibly wonderful and beautiful and spectacular it is. And, and, and what God has done here is he has said, this is basically what it's going to look like. This is how big it's going to be. This is what the outside, this, this is what it's going to be made up of. These are all the precious jewels and pearls, or excuse me, these are all the precious jewels and gems that I have given you throughout ages. And all of these things are going to be used to enhance the beauty of the place where you're going to dwell throughout all of eternity. And then you need to understand that it pales in comparison with the fact that he will dwell among us. Okay? Here's here's the interesting thing. Here's, Here's my belief about heaven and about what will go on here and the new heaven and the new earth, okay? You're going to see the new Jerusalem and you're going to say, hmm, because you're going to want to look back at the face of Jesus and fall down and say, wow. My point in that, Jesus is more valuable than all these things. And wanting to see Jesus and be with Jesus is more valuable than all of these things. Okay? And that's what we need to make sure that we do. And we haven't really talked about that much. We've talked about it a little bit as we've talked about heaven in this, in this Revelation study. But we need to make sure that, that that's our mindset, right? Of all of the really cool things that the Revelation tells us about heaven, the best thing that it tells us is that he will be our God and he will be among us and we will see his face. You're, we're going to see Jesus. We're going to see God. We're going to see the Holy Spirit. We're going to see God. That's going to be really, really something. Okay? Everyone, oh, by the way, there's going to be a building over there that has a lot of precious stuff on it. But God's there. Okay? Yeah, that is what he thinks of his bride. That's exactly right, which is the church. So heaven is great. It's God. And so here's the deal. I have no idea how long it'll be before I get to heaven, and you have no idea how long it'll be before you get to heaven. Some of us could be there this week, some of us next month, some of us in five years, some of us in 10 years, some of us in 20, 25, 30, 40 years. We don't know. We just don't know. But in the meantime, I think that it would make all the sense in the world, since we know that's where we're headed, is if we could spend time in the Bible and get to know the place and the person that we're going to be with throughout all of eternity. And that's another way to look at the Bible, isn't it? I, I, I'm going to be with God for a really long time. I think I'll, be, I'll spend a little time figuring him out and understanding him so that when I get there, I won't be surprised at all. And that's really what we need to be doing in the meantime. Verse 23. Oh, verse 22, I'm sorry. And I saw no temple in it. There's not a need for a temple. Okay, there was always a need for the temple. There was always the need for you to go to a place to worship. Go to a place so that you could be there. There's no temple in it for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. They're everywhere. We are worshiping in the purest way constantly because God's everywhere, and we will see him, and we don't need to go to the temple. We don't need to search him out. He's there. Okay? That's a remarkable thing. In verse 23, And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Because when Jesus was on this earth, he said what? 
I'm the light of the world. He wasn't just kidding. He's really the light of the world. And when we get to heaven, he's going to light it up. There's no, we, don't need the, we don't need any of those things. We don't need the sun or the moon to shine on it. The glory of the God is illumining it, and the lamp is the Lamb. God himself, he who was on this earth, Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world, and he's going to shine in glory for all of eternity as the light. And we don't need any other light except him. And the nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And so what does that teach you about eternity and heaven and, and what we call heaven in verse 24? All we need is Jesus. And there will be every form and type and uh, uh, everyone will be there, right? The kings and, of the earth will bring their glory and, and, and the nations will walk by its light. Everybody's going to be there. There's going to be an aspect of every tongue and tribe, right? That's what I meant by that. Every tongue and tribe. Okay. They're going to be there. All peoples, all caste systems, all earthly systems will be done away. They'll be in glory, and we will be surrounded by the sun, those who are believers. Verse 25, in the daytime, for there will not be any night there. Now, now we can't even fathom that, right? We can't even fathom that. In the daytime, for there'll be no night there, its gates will never be closed. Again, that doesn't mean much to us. Whatever. That meant everything to the people who are reading this. Because at night, you close the gates, you bar the gates, you lock the gates, you protect your citizens. You have built this remarkable city with this remarkable wall around the city, and you close the gates, and if you weren't back in time, you had to stay outside the city. You couldn't get in too bad and outside the city was an incredibly dangerous place and inside the city was an incredibly safe place and the Bible says these gates will never close why? well because inside outside they're all the same Jesus is in charge of it all and, and all of the terrors and all of the fears and all of the worries and all of the bats they're gone they don't even exist anymore verse 26 and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it and nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it but only those who names were written in the Lamb's book of life and we talked about that at length a while back the Lamb's book of life and they're the only ones that are ever going to come into it nothing unclean no one who practices any kind of an abomination or lying will ever come into it those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life this will be a remarkable, remarkable, remarkable time. And God will take care of us. Okay? And then we go to chapter 22. Chapter 22. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. A real river flowing from the throne. Okay? Living water. God is the source of all life, and that is reiterated here. That is taught here. God is the source of all life. It's from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of its street is where this is. On either side of the river was a tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Okay? So this is Eden, but better. 
This is Eden, except way better. And, and, the, and the issue here is, it says that they're going to bear 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the nations, and there will be no curse and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. There's no curse. And so this is finally the, the, the end of what happened back in Eden, right? And the curse and all of that. Now we're moving forward. And here's an interesting observation in 22, verse 2. On either side of the river was a tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. There's some sort of time in heaven. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know the ins and outs of that. But there's some sort of measurement of time somehow in heaven that these are going to bear this fruit every month. Okay? And it says that the leaves on the tree were for the healing of the nations. It is finally, finally bringing the peace and bringing the harmony that God wanted all along because now we have no more curse. Verse 3, there will be no curse. Now that is, a, that is a remarkable, remarkable short phrase that speaks volumes. <laughs> it speaks volumes, right? Okay. What, what was the curse? What was, the, what was the, 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 the basic issue of the curse? I mean, what, what, what went on back with the curse? What, what were some of the things? Death was certainly part of the curse. No, no more death. Separation was part of the curse. No more separation. He had to seal it so that we wouldn't go back in, and so there's no doors in heaven, and so everything's opened up, right? So that is part of it. That is gone. What else part of the curse? Sin, part, gone. Gone. The battle between Jesus and Satan, right? Gone. Over. No more weeds. Work will be as work was supposed to be before the curse. It'll be a joyful thing for the glory of God. Okay? No more angst or difficulty between people. Part of the curse was going to be the battle with husbands and wives and some of the struggles that we have. That's all gone between all people. Okay? No more curse. It's all gone. It's, it, it just, it, it's such a remarkable thing. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. God will be everywhere. God will be everywhere. It is just one of those remarkable things. And verse 4 is a verse that I, that I mentioned earlier. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And we've seen that before. Our, our, his name will be on our foreheads. We don't know what that is. We don't know what it says. We don't know how that will manifest itself. But his name will be on our foreheads. There will be that identity that we belong to him. But we will see his face. And, and do not minimize that verse, right? We've never been able to see his face before. Now, certainly, those who were on the earth when Jesus Christ was on the earth, they saw Jesus in the flesh. But the person that was closest to God than anybody probably was Moses, you know, David. And, and what did God say to Moses when he said, I want to see you? I'll show my back to you. You can't see my face. We need to understand the significance of seeing his face, of seeing the face of God. I mean, it just... It, it ought to just baffle us and blow us away and just, just, what a deal. Verse 5, it's a repeated truth. And there will no longer be any night, and they will have no need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. 
So we had the first part of verse 5. It's repeated now in there that we don't need a light. We don't need a lamp, the light of the sun. We don't need that because God will illumine them forever. Now we get the next part of that, and they will reign forever and ever. Forever and ever. For, that's a really long time. And forever and ever we're going to reign. In verse 6, and he said to them, he said to me, excuse me, to John, he said, these words are faithful and true, a repeat of what we saw in the last chapter. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. You needed to see these things so that you would know what was next. And God gave it to John, and we have it today. Verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Only the Father knows when all of this will come to pass. We read that in the Gospels. Only the Father knows. But he said, I'm, becoming, I'm, I'm coming quickly. Okay? Which means that it's on its way. It's on its way. And you can trust that. I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things. So at the end of all of this, John is saying, I saw them. I heard them. All right? We think that it's been difficult to read this. John saw them and heard them. I, John, was the one who saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of the brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. We've seen that a couple times in the book of Revelation, but it becomes clear that when God reveals certain things, the only possible response is worship. And I, I think that we've probably all been in that place at one time or another in our lives certain things have gone on in our lives and the only possible response we have is worship okay well John was going to worship the one who's given him the message and the angel fixed that right away and said no not me worship God God's the one that gave them worship God the final message is is how most of your Bibles will will title verse 10 and beyond okay and I I think we need to probably stop here because I cannot finish this because I have some things I want to do so we need to stop and finish next week but he said, do not seal up the books of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. I, I just, I want to stop with that then, and I want to say that this, this is not to be hidden. This is to be proclaimed. This is an important thing. And, and generally speaking, the Church of Jesus Christ doesn't give Revelation what it needs. I haven't, certainly, in my ministry over the years. That, that we spend time in Revelation and we teach it regularly. But it, it says that we shouldn't seal these things up, that this, this needs to be sh talked about, this needs to be seen, this needs to be out there, because the time is near, and as we see what it is that God is going to do, we can, we can be ready for that, and we can worship Him, and we can honor Him, and we can be who we need to be, understanding that this is about to happen. All right? So um, this is a significant thing, that we have a general working knowledge of the book of Revelation so that we understand what's happening and we can share with other people what's happening. That, that needs to happen. Okay, that, that's a good thing. Yeah. Absolutely. There, there has always been time in one way or another. Yeah. Yep. 
because God measures differently, right? And uh, he'll share that measurement with us someday, I think. That's how this works. Anyway. Yep. Absolutely. To understand the gospel, to be an overcomer, that's exactly right. We'll finish up the book of Revelation next week. Father, thanks for our time together this morning. Thank you very much for giving us a, a glimpse, a picture of heaven. Uh, what an amazing, amazing thing it is. And Lord, we just thank you for it. We, we anticipate, we look forward to it, but we recognize that you have things for us to do. And you have left us on this earth and said, be my servants, be my workers, be my uh, church on the earth. And so Father, we thank you for equipping us that we can do that. And we thank you, Lord, that you have declared that as believers we are overcomers. And I just simply pray that we who are overcomers in your perfect plan and work would practice that, that we'd apply that truth, and that people would look at us and see that indeed we're overcomers. We know that, that by the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ and our faith, we can't overcome. And so, Father, I pray that that would be the case as we live on this earth and this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.